0: Welcome back everyone to the afternoon session and I'm going to ask you please to turn to the book of Genesis and chapter 2. Now this morning I really only spoke on one verse. This afternoon I'm going to ask you to read in a few different places and uh, then I will tell you how these scriptures tie together. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him, or suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof, and so on. And I will just skip down in the reading to verse 22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman, And brought her unto the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Over to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. And verse 22. Proverbs 18 and verse 22. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, or findeth good, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together... She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people, from their sins. Verse 24, then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Over to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 39. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. I just want you to notice that expression. She is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. And finally, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Hebrews 13 and 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. The first clause in that verse can either be translated from Greek as a statement, as it is in the King James Version, marriage is honorable in all, or it can be translated as an instruction or an exhortation, as it is in the English Standard Version and other translations, let marriage be held in honor by all. Now, I'm going to do today something I haven't done before, and that is speak at a general purpose conference on a subject that generally is only ever touched at a sort of specialty weekend. I was at a Saugus Assembly a few years ago with John Dennison and my friend Lindsay Parks, and we were asked to deal with subjects of dating and courtship and marriage and family life. And I've never t- spoken on dating in general at a normal conference, but I'm going to today. I had this message before me and then went away from it through the week. And then during the latter part of the week, felt burdened to try to deal a little with this subject. Some will say, well, why speak on dating? It only applies to like, I don't know, how many people in this audience are dating? Don't put your hands up. But maybe six, eight couples, I'm not sure. Maybe a dozen. So what about everybody else? Well, I would suggest to you that dating is not really a biblical subject. I mentioned this in the introduction at Saugus. Okay? So John had the advantage in dealing with marriage, advantage in dealing with marriage that it actually is a biblical subject. You can go to passages in the scripture that directly deal with teaching relative to marriage. Lindsay had the advantage of dealing with a subject that again the scriptures directly speak about, raising children. And the Bible talks to us about the relationship of fathers to children and uh, children to fathers and so on. Dating or courtship is really more a cultural phenomenon. It's something that, depending on the culture, the period in history, the geography in the world, uh, it's done in different ways. In some cultures, uh, marriages are arranged by parents, and some people say that would work better. I'm glad my parents didn't arrange my marriage. I'm not sure what they would have done, but I'm glad I had my own choice to exercise, so I'm not going to comment on that. So dating... The reason I feel burdened to speak about it is this. It is a very relevant subject to spiritual life. Strong marriages are essential for assembly life, strong marriages are essential for society. Marriage is the God designed, God ordained, essential building block for a family, for society, and for assemblies. And we are living in an era where marriage is incredibly under attack, both in terms of its foundations, its, its, uh, the, the substance of what constitutes a marriage, and in terms of its practice. There are a few different attitudes you can have towards the subject of dating and courtship and marriage that fundamentally affect the way you conduct yourself. And I would suggest to you it's relevant to all of us. If you are a young person, and uh, you're currently in a dating relationship, then of course it's directly relevant to you. If you're a young person and you're not currently in a dating relationship but would like to be at some point, then it's very relevant to you. If, like me, you're in your 50s with children who are now in dating relationships, and some boy comes and asks to date your daughter, then it's extremely relevant to you, and you're going to hope that he was sitting here today listening and learning how he's supposed to conduct himself. If you're in assembly fellowship, and there are young believers in your assembly who are at this phase in life. It's important for you to understand the pressures that they're under, the perspectives that are affecting them, and the way that they approach this important step in life, so that you can be a help to them. I'm hoping my dating days are behind me. I was about to say they are, but God forbid if anything ever happened to Rachel, I'd hate to start over. I'm not sure how I would do. I admire those that are able to, but I'm not, I'd be all thumbs. Very awkward. I was awkward enough the first time around. So this ministry, this teaching is relevant wherever you might happen to be. So I would like in the next 23, 24 minutes, I want to just touch on a number of things, essential elements where biblical truth does apply to the way you should conduct yourself in a dating relationship. First of all, what should your perspective be? Well, your perspective should be shaped by Scripture. That goes for every area in our lives. Our perspective on things, the way we view things, the way we approach something, the the way we think and engage, and our perspective is very affected by society around us, by our peer group, not to go on a rant, but by Hollywood, by what we feed our souls on, by what we perceive to be normal. All of that affects our perspective. And especially in this area, when it comes to the interaction between a young man and a young woman and the involvement of emotions and falling in love and romance and dating, your perspective and mine is powerfully affected by what we allow into our consciousness. And I would suggest to you that the vast majority of what we allow into our consciousness from TV shows and movies and Practices around us in the world and the perspectives of the world, they do tremendous damage in this area of Christian living. So if you are a young Christian, boy, girl, young man, young woman, I would urge you to have your perspective when it comes to dating shaped by the Word of God. And while dating itself is not so much a subject, I would suggest that there are a number of principles relative to marriage that we can bring back into the dating period that will help us to understand how God would have us move. Number one, what is the purpose of dating? You'll say, well, I never really thought about that. I mean, a purpose in dating? You see somebody, you fall in love, and you start to date. like, purpose? This isn't a school project where you have to sit down and write out a purpose. No, it's not. But I'd suggest to you this. When it comes to things that involve emotion, when it comes to things that involve your heart, when it comes to things that involve, quote-unquote, falling in love, There's probably no more important area where you actually do pause and think about how are you going to proceed. So what is the purpose of dating? Well, out there in the world, the purpose of dating, varied. Probably a sense of fulfillment, a sense of acceptance, a sense of being loved, a sense of being significant to somebody else. And sadly in the world, all too often, a sense of sexual gratification. You bundle all of that together and generally that's why your peers in college or university in the workplace, that's why they get into dating relationships. What is the purpose of dating for a Christian? Well, you say all of the above except the last one. Well, maybe to some degree. I would suggest to you the only valid scriptural reason for a young man and woman to be dating is with a view to marriage. That's the purpose of spending time specifically with one individual of the opposite gender is so that you will get to know one another with a view towards marriage. Marriage is the only building block God has. One man, one woman in a committed relationship to one another, a monogamous, committed, lifelong relationship in marriage. In our culture, dating is is really just a process to lead towards that decision. I'm not suggesting that the first time you go out on a date, you should be rushing into marriage. Marriage is a very serious commitment. It should not be taken lightly. It should not be rushed into. But the purpose of dating should be to prayerfully, with conviction, seek to determine whether we are suitable for one another to proceed into a marriage. Any other purpose? casual dating, just recreational romance, just hanging out together, just flirting, just pushing the boundaries sexually for our gratification without actually crossing a line. Sadly, all of those are reasons why people might be dating. None of them are healthy. None of them are good. None of them stand up to what the scriptures would have. And I'd suggest to you that the purpose for dating should be with a view to determining whether we should proceed into marriage. Now, let me just say before I leave that point, that doesn't mean that a dating relationship that doesn't lead into marriage was therefore a total waste of time and an abject failure. There's some here today, and perhaps you've been in a dating relationship, and through that relationship came to the conclusion, one or the other or both, came to the conclusion that it wasn't going to proceed to marriage. Does that mean that it was wrong, that it was a waste of time? I would say no. That's a valid conclusion to come to. And thank God you came to that conclusion before being married. Not some short time into it, as tragically happens. But the general purpose for dating should be with a view to marriage. That brings an air of sobriety, seriousness, solemnity to the whole interaction between a young man and a young woman. Be very, very careful. Getting into a relationship that is proceeding along and is not in any way contemplating marriage at some point in the future as the ultimate intended purpose of that relationship. Second thing I'll speak about relative to dating, then, is a partner. It's sort of an essential element, right? You can't really date on your own. Uh, no, I don't think you can, it'd be very awkward. So a partner. You kind of need a counterpart. You need someone on the other side of this relationship. So. If you're here today and you're interested in a life partner, you're interested in marriage, where should you look? Well, first of all, where should you not look? You don't need me to labor this point, but it needs to be said. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where we read, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So looking for a partner or allowing yourself to be drawn emotionally into a relationship with an individual who's not a Christian is in direct disobedience to the Word of God. Generally, it goes like this. We have so much in common. We just seem to click. We just understand one another. We really get along well. And and the person, I've heard the same refrain in numerous different cultures from different people in different circumstances, but they sing from exactly the same song sheet. You know what the language of 2 Corinthians 6 is basically saying? Whatever you might think you have in common. You know, I don't know. We like the same kind of music. Uh, We sort of react the same to certain circumstances. We just seem to have similar perspectives. They just click. I mean, they understand me. Whatever you might think you have in common. You come to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and read that list of five things. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What concord does Christ have with Belial? You read 2 Corinthians 6 and pray that God will drill into your consciousness that whatever trivial little personality things might line up that make you think you have a lot in common with an unbeliever, fundamentally, foundationally at the core, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, purchased by the blood of Christ, and you are His. You are holy. You are set apart. And you have absolutely nothing in common with a person who does not yet know Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you're better than them. That doesn't mean that somehow you walk around with a haughty attitude. But it does mean that when it comes to issues of romance, dating, and ultimately marriage, do not be looking at unbelievers. Now a person at school, at college, may become a believer, may be saved, and may be the Lord's intended partner for you, and praise God when that occurs. But don't you take those matters into your own hand and think that somehow you can then blackmail God into turning around and blessing what you are determined to plow ahead with contrary to his word. So you say, okay, so it has to be a Christian. Well, then come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 doesn't just say, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that if this woman, this widow, um, is free to marry... Only in the Lord. And I would suggest to you that in the Lord is a much more demanding criteria than simply saying it's not an unbeliever. Okay, In the Lord means that when I enter into a relationship with someone, I am convinced in my heart before God, honestly, that this is part of his purpose for me. I share in common with this person, not just divine life, But I share in common with this person an understanding of the Word of God, a willingness to bow to the truth of the Word of God, a recognition of the Lordship of Christ, a willingness to surrender my life to His direction and recognize His Lordship." This person shares that same conviction, that same commitment, the same perspective. And within that sphere, recognizing and acknowledging and bowing to the Lordship of Christ in the Lord. We are now deciding to move forward in a relationship together. That's the criteria as to what you should or where you should be looking for a potential partner. What should I look for in a partner? Now, this is a tough one. I mean, what should you look for? If, if I'm brutally honest up here, I mean, you find somebody attractive, right? You don't sort of go out looking uh, for something and then... You find somebody and you find them attractive. That's, that's okay. That's understandable. But attraction, they say beauty is only skin deep. True beauty goes to the heart. I read in Galatians chapter 5 because Galatians chapter 5 speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I would suggest to you that when you are looking for someone that would be suitable for you to date, you look for spiritual quality. And what is spiritual quality? You know, a big Bible bag, um, lots of notes at conferences, a very godly profile. I I don't know. What's spirituality? To me, spirituality is best defined as a life in which the spirit is bearing fruit. And what is the fruit that the spirit bears? Christlikeness. How is it described? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith. Self-control. You look for those qualities. You look for the fruit that the indwelling Spirit of God is producing in a life. Because that will mold and shape a character and that will form the basis for a foundation for a healthy marriage. So what should you look for? Convictions, character, compatibility. Compatibility is important. I mean, you could find somebody who seems to bear all of those fruits, but you just have nothing in common. You just don't seem to get along. So compatibility is important. Companionship. The third thing I'd speak about is prayer. And I mean honest prayer. Honest, sincere, genuine prayer. And I would suggest, especially during the early stages of a courtship, of a dating relationship, I would suggest that you focus an awful lot on individual prayer. I know some young couples and they'll say, you know, they've been dating for a week and the Lord has shown them all sorts of directions and signs and they know they're squarely in the middle of His will and they just love the times that we pray together. Well, okay. I'm honest enough to say that a week into a courtship, if I had been sitting holding hands with Rachel deep in convicted prayer, I would not have been able to sort out what was hormones, what was emotions, and what was the Spirit of God because it's all twirled up in one big mixture. Don't lose your individual prayer life when it comes to this most important decision in life. You need to pray. You need to ask the Lord to guide you. He won't lead you astray. You need to honestly be willing to accept his guidance. You know, we're, we're ver- the heart's deceitful, above all things, desperately wicked, maybe especially when it comes to affairs of the heart. We don't like praying honestly. We want to go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I want. Would you please give it to me? We'll never say it that bluntly. But really, that's what we're asking. Lord, this is what I've decided to do. Would you please bless it? Very different than coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't want to do anything that's outside of your will. I don't want to do something that will spoil my life for you or the life of this other individual for you. So please, don't allow me to go any further in a direction than you would have me go. Pray honestly. And as a relationship progresses, then definitely pray together. And as you grow together in a relationship towards marriage, definitely cultivate the practice of joint prayer. But I would suggest that it's very important right up until marriage to recognize you are an individual. Courtship is a period where two individuals are determining whither to join their lives together to become one. And during that period, be very open to the direction of God and very dependent on Him in prayer. The next one I'll mention is prudence. This is not a very popular one. It's an old word, prudence, but it starts with P, so it's a good one. What is it? What is prudence? Prudence basically means being wise, being careful, being serious. Don't be flippant. Don't just go with the flow. Don't just do what feels right. Don't canvas all your friends and say, hey, what do you think? Do you think she's pretty cute? You think she, you know, what, what do you think I should do? Like, we went out last night, and here's what we did. Here's what we talked. Or the girl you know, goes and you know, sends messages to all of her friends. And here's what we did. I think he's really cute. I, think, I love the way. Prudence is really the opposite of all of that. Prudence is basically approaching something with, these are the words the Bible uses, live soberly walk wisely, be vigilant, don't get carried away. So as you approach the subject of dating and the experience of dating, step back, quiet down, and think seriously. Because I'm not trying to be a killjoy here, but it is serious. It's very serious. It's your life, and it's the life of another child of God. And it deserves to be treated with a level of respect and seriousness. The other thing that prudence is, is prudence is not only being wise, but prudence is being discreet. Discreet basically means you don't have to live your life with the volume cranked up and everything broadcast to the world. Or to your peer group. It doesn't mean that you run away and do everything in secret. But it means that you basically walk carefully and quietly. Focus far more, if you're in a dating relationship, focus far more on one another and developing a God-honoring relationship with one another in the time that you spend together and the relationship that you're building together. Focus far more on that than on the image that you are projecting to your peer group and those that are looking on. Don't be too concerned about showing everybody this fairy tale romance and posting everything that makes it look like things are so spectacular and so wonderful. How things look may or may not be a true reflection of what's really going on. You focus far more on the reality and far less on the perception that you're trying to project. So be prudent. Purity. I only have a few minutes, but I do have to touch on this. Purity. You say, yeah, every time anybody talks about dating, basically what they say is don't have sex till you're married. We know that already. I know you know that already, but I also know that when you're in a relationship where you are with another young person, that there are tremendous forces at work that are militating against you, maintaining your purity during this phase in your life. Now, immorality is not confined only to those in dating relationships. We know that. It affects married men, married women. But during this dating period in your life, the reason I want to stress this is, remember the first point I talked about perspectives? Well, in the world, in TV shows, in movies, and I'm not naive enough to think that you're not watching TV shows and movies and forming your impressions based on what you're seeing on the screen, because I know you are. And what is considered normal out there is that in a romantic relationship as it progresses, sexual involvement is a perfectly normal, expected way for things to proceed. Even in today's world where the Me Too movement and the the whole point about consent, and I'm not minimizing that at all, but the whole point about consent is receiving such prominence And there are a whole host of sins that are involved in those who proceed in relationships without consent. I'm not in any way denying that or diminishing that. But what I am saying is this, that in all of the attention being drawn to that issue of consent or a lack of consent, those that are so outraged about it are standing squarely on a platform that says sexual relations between consenting adults are perfectly healthy, perfectly normal, acceptable. Loving, It's to be embraced, it's to be celebrated. That is the perspective in our society. And it is on that foundation that then you can take such outrage in those situations where there's a lack of consent. And the outrage is valid, but the foundation from which it's coming is not valid. Because I'm here today to reinforce in our thinking that sexual relations outside a marriage are fundamentally against the purposes of God and the Word of God. So if you as a dating couple are going to be preserved, you are going to have to focus on purity. And I would suggest it's purity in your appetites. Don't be in a relationship before you're married where you are looking to have sexual appetites satisfied. It's extremely unhealthy, very dangerous won't form a good foundation for a marriage. And if you are in a relationship like that right now, and that's kind of where you're at, I I would urge you, slam on the brakes and back up. Far better to step out, get your moral compass recalibrated by the word of God when the hormones are not raging, than to continue on and plunge into sin. Purity in your appetites, purity in your attitudes, purity in your appearance, purity in your actions. But my time's almost gone. Let me just touch on two things practices. When it comes to a healthy dating relationship, I would encourage you to pay attention to what you do together. Avoid idle time. In one way, that's a show of respect to the other person. Right? So if you get together for an evening and you know, your girlfriend has come to see you and your family or vice versa, your boyfriend has come down to spend time with you and your family. You get together and it's sort of, ah, what are we going to do? Oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. Nothing. What do you, you want to do? Do you think that really portrays to that person that you know, you're very interested in building a relationship together? Or does it not portray that you really can't think of any particular interest? And you're not sure what to do. So plan things. Plan activities that are wholesome. Plan activities that are healthy. The second thing I would say is not just that it shows an interest in the other person, but if you proactively plan healthy things and activities to do together, you will set yourselves up to get to know one another in a healthy environment rather than simply falling into whatever comes easiest. You know, we have nothing else to do tonight. Let's just go to a movie. Really? 45 times a year? I'm not not throwing stones, okay? I'm not up here lobbing grenades at people and forcing my standards on other people. That's not my purpose at all. What I'm trying to urge you as younger people is plan things that are healthy. You're here, congratulations. You've planned something that was healthy. You've come to a conference, we're glad to see you. It's a good example of it. If you're dating, what are you gonna do next Friday night if you're together? Maybe plan to go visit some other Christians. Maybe plan to go to a conference. Maybe plan to get together and bake things. You, know, you say, bake? I can't bake. Well, try it. Do it together. Make gingerbread men and decorate them and take them to the elderly folks in your assembly. You say, oh, that's just like Victorian quaint, naive. Is it? Try it. Try filling your spare time with positive, valuable activities that contribute positively to the lives of other people. And in so doing, the byproduct will be that you are spending quality time together getting to know one another and building a foundation for the future. And finally, let me just touch on preparation. Dating is a time of preparation. It's a time when you are building a solid foundation for the future. It's a time when you're getting to know one another. It's a time for growth, a time for development. Recognize that that's what it is. Don't rush, but don't hold back. Don't be scared of commitment. The foundation for marriage is commitment. Sometimes people say the foundation for marriage is love. And I think, I mean, yes, marriage is to be a place where husbands are instructed to love their wives. But the foundation for marriage, scripturally, is commitment. Commitment to God, commitment to the Word of God, commitment to the institution of marriage. And then within that framework of commitment, commitment to my spouse. You make your dating period a period in your life where you are building that level of commitment. Don't play with another person's emotions. Be honest. In your communication with one another, a healthy dating relationship is going to progress at a pace where the level of emotional intimacy and the knowledge of one another and the coming together of two lives towards marriage is moving forward in a healthy way. And if you're in a dating relationship and that's not happening, and you know in your heart of hearts that it's not happening, then in God's name, don't be dishonest. Don't play with your life and the life of another Christian. It's a time of preparation as you are building and nurturing and cultivating a relationship that leads towards, what's the purpose of dating? It leads towards marriage. And if during that period in your life, you remember these principles and you work in a healthy way in the fear of God towards honoring Him, then in the purposes of God, hopefully, you can form a foundation for a marriage that will then be used for the glory of God. Now that's a very hasty look at the subject of dating. I've touched on a few things. Feel free to talk to me about them afterwards if you wish. I firmly believe that a healthy view of marriage, which is very clearly a biblical subject, a healthy view of marriage, Hebrews chapter 13, let marriage be held in honor by all. A healthy view of marriage will translate backwards and dictate my behavior when it comes to courtship or dating with a person of the opposite gender.